Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. All right, so we have got a lot of Real Triathlon squad members, pro athletes who have or have not had relationships with Colin Chartier or have competed against him directly or have been friendly with him. So I think we've got a really good grasp on opinions and for sure the climate of what we're all feeling with this not super startling. I think it's not like a we don't have a super naive thought process in this. We're probably aware that maybe 10 or 5% of this entire structured sport could be doing something gray area or worse, but this certainly opens the door. So we've got Jackson Laundry here, Mark Dubrick, Tamara Jewett, and we might have Nicole coming on shortly. But first and foremost, Colin Chartier, three-year ban. I have some things I just want to pose out there and we can start going um, into it. First, why is it not a lifetime ban since he showed direct intent? and purposeful doping. Um, that's pretty damning. That should never be allowed back in the sport. And then also the timeline to which this kind of sequence happens, I feel like it's almost a little bit engineered in a way that he got caught. He's trying to save face, coming out, taking it on the chin. But ultimately, I think none of us are really convinced that he was alone and that he wasn't doping during the U.S. Pro Championships or Tremblant back what was that early 2022 or 2023 i think um, it's august yeah sorry 2022 so anyways whoever wants to just jump in with uh any of those kind of comments concerns go ahead all right well i guess i'll start here a little bit um yeah, like Nick said, not a hugely surprising like that, you know, somebody got caught doping. This may be, though, the first time in, you know, in my memory, at least that a long course pro has been, you know, long course only focus pro has been caught using EPO um, since I've been a pro triathlete. I mean, there's been other doping, uh, you know, instances, but I don't think blatant EPO has been um has been at least caught so a couple things on that just a little bit of background on you know why that might be um hopefully it's because not many people are using it but unfortunately epo which stands for erythropoietin erythropoietin or something i'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced but erythropoietin yes <laughs> that um it essentially it's something that does exist naturally in the body and it causes you to it I'm not exactly sure on the science of it, but it causes you to produce red blood cells. So everybody's body has an increase of EPO after they do a hard workout, for example. And that is part of why you get aerobic benefits from that workout. Um, so if you're to administer EPO illegally or um, you know in an unnatural manner, you're going to produce more red blood cells, which is going to give you a better aerobic capacity, better ability to push yourself in training and just... Obviously, for endurance sport, that's like the ultimate, you know, effective drug for doping. So the unfortunate thing about EPO in terms of getting caught with it is that it doesn't last very long in the bloodstream. And this is, you know, there's a lot of uh, documentaries on doping that I'm sure many of you have, have seen. But basically, if you take EPO at right after the last moment where a drug's your tester is allowed to show up at your house, 
which I believe is 11 p.m., but it might be 10 p.m. I can't recall. Um, but I believe there's an eight-hour window where they can't test you in the middle of the night because that's just the rules. They can't show up in the middle of the night, wake you up. Um, you know, we could debate whether that's good or not. But um, if you were to take EPO right at that time and then make sure that you go to the bathroom and pee anything out that was in your, you know, that's been cleared from your blood overnight, you will not have EPO left at the first moment they could test you in the morning, which again, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the time. It's either six or 7 a.m. So what this is it means, that, is it that late? I thought it was like five. Um, so there's two different th things you can, you can change your window and you can say you're allowed to come test me at this time. Like if you choose your one hour window. So I believe what you're referring to is sort of for whereabouts. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that as well. You can put your whereabouts up to five and you can put it as late as 11 p.m. Um, and it may just be that. It may be a six-hour window and it may be that EPO only exists for less than six hours. But what I know for sure is that even the World Anti-Doping Agency has openly said they can't they can't catch people who are micro-doping EPO because they can take it at night and it's out of their system before they can test them in the morning. So that's the unfortunate truth about EPO and that a lot of people could be taking it and never getting caught. So when someone does get caught, either they didn't know how to do it right or they took too much or they just took a risk or whatever. So which, um, which brings about a lot of questions on Colin's life, like who's he been around, who's kind of he he may have some connections in Girona. Or something he, I mean, the story is based on a Jack Kelly podcast that Colin was on is that he bought it himself online, administered it, administered it, administered it himself with zero help, got all the information on the internet on how to dose himself, et cetera. Now, who believes that really? Anyone? I don't know. Tamara? I don't know. What to I, do. I, I really don't know. I can't, I don't, I can't comment on that other than. We just don't know. I really think the the most unbelievable part of the story is the timeline. Um, whether someone else was involved or not, there's not really anything to suggest that someone was or wasn't. Whereas the timeline of when he decided to start doping, there it the logical flow of information just isn't really there. Um, so that's where I think it's a lot more questionable. Yeah, Mark, you had some thoughts on that in terms of when he was injured, when he kind of started complaining about stuff, you may have seen him in person. Do you have any thoughts on his timeline? Yeah. I mean, I think the the timeline was a bit uh, fabricated for, for financial reasons. Um, we were talking about this quite a bit before the start of the podcast and was it, it was Montremblant, right? That he won. Yes. So I was in Girona and, uh, uh, around the same time he was and I remember seeing him injured he was just swimming and biking um, and we've known each other for quite a while he was on the short course scene as well and we were actually on the same team um, right when I first started triathlon back in 2018 or started professional triathlon um, but yeah sorry so back to the timeline the um, yeah he's injured and he's still planning on racing and just the way he came back so fast um, obviously is a surprise always. I mean, if anyone comes back fast and races well, it's, um, I mean, it's not a red flag for doping, of course, but yeah, like, you're super surprised. But 
Um, and yeah, he wasn't even running. So I think the timeline was definitely shifted a bit because he won that. And then he did well at the PTO race, winning, you know, such a um, prestigious race and biggest whatever prize purse uh, that the PTO was putting down. And yeah, I think just financially, he had a lot of time to think about it and it was, chose his words well. In the mental health aspect, Tamara, any thoughts about that in terms of feeling down in the sport, feeling like you don't love it anymore? Is that, you know, a good reason to to do any of this? Uh, obviously not. Like, obviously, it's completely unacceptable. I think that aspect of it, um, like, to the degree I can feel some compassion, I can feel like some compassion separate from sport that the the mindset he describes and the image of sport that he describes is like such an impoverished view of life and of sport and anyone who is in that mindset clearly needs help obviously it doesn't in any way justify cheating um and many athletes are able to deal with similar things without going down that path but i think like just beyond like in the john kelly interview you know there's such an entitlement to uh, winning that he expresses, but then it, it went so far beyond that to like, um, you know, the sacrifices that he assumed, like assuming that you have to go into extreme debt to do the sport or like assuming that you can't have romantic relationships in your life to do the sport. Like it's just, um, assuming that all of your other competitors are probably doping too. Like those are really, um, dark views of the world that just don't, conform with I think most of our experiences um, yeah I'd like to of... I'd like to kind of pinpoint that comment he kind of opened that interview with with Jack Jack Kelly and get your perspectives all of you is he has said I felt like in order to beat the best I had to dope like I felt like in he kind of just came out and said it initially I feel like all the best guys are probably doing it and then later on backpedals a little bit and says, you know, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's doping up there at top or not. So what do you think about that kind of back and forth? Like, was he trying to justify it? Was he taking a Lance Armstrong approach? Like everyone's doping. So I better dope. Um, is that, does that settle well with anyone? And how would that even be rationally acceptable for, for a pro I, athlete? I, I thought that was people? kind of the grossest part of the interview in a way, because I do think that, um, you know, whether it's that he's trying to justify it in that interview or like, clearly it was a way he was trying to justify it to himself internally. And it's just, um, it's just gross. It's just not, not an acceptable excuse. Um, it's, it's a gross lens to look at the sport in. And, um, even if it was true, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make it okay. Yeah. <laughs> like and, it just, it's. And Jackson, you've been primarily a professional athlete no side jobs no side hustles you've been grinding it out year after year you've i've seen you be frugal i've seen you do everything you can to make this sport work and you've consistently worked on it now you're of the you know highest success story within our sport from making a living out of it in terms of what is available so how do you feel about him making it seem like it's intangible yeah um well it's it's really uh it's it's kind of disrespectful in my opinion for him to kind of say this is what you have to do um 
just because, you know, and in this kind of, this was said by Lionel as well in his, you know, very honest opinion on his, uh, I guess it was his Instagram video mm-hmm. that he posted that we're not in this to make money. Like this, you know, the, a very, very small group of people are going to make a good, you know, living at this sport. Um, and a lot of us, you know, arguably most or a good chunk of professional athletes, they achieve mastery in the sport. They get to the point where they're very, very good. They've gotten, you know, close to the best that they could out of their bodies and, and achieved at the best that they can in their career. And, and that's what the goal is. So, you know, people who can achieve mastery in one thing can transfer that work ethic, skills, intelligence, um, critical thinking, all those skills over to anything else and be successful. And and we see this, you know, a lot with, with professional athletes who move on to other careers and are very good, you know, do well financially. So I think for him to say, you know, you have to do that to, to succeed. It just kind of touches on what Tamara said, Tamara said about, you know, not, um, not being in it for the right reasons at all. But also I just don't agree. Like, you know, like you said, you can, you can sort of be frugal. Like you can make it work. You don't have to go to all these fancy places to train or, or like go into crazy credit card debt, like live within your means, only race the races you can afford. And like, there's, we're lucky at this time where there's quite a few opportunities um, to compete and to, to earn prize money and to earn ranking points and all those things. So I just don't, and maybe he's just bad with money, but I just really think that that was kind of a an excuse that 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 was very hollow to me and it also it kind of hurts because like you know I wasn't affected as much as some others but I did you know let's say he whether he was or wasn't we'll never know but I don't believe that he was clean during last season I think that makes no sense with his timeline um of when he would have decided to dope and that's just that's just my gut feeling and I don't know if it's correct but you know if that's the case I did lose prize money because of him and it's not the losing the prize money that hurts it's the that you know I achieved less that I actually achieved better than I thought and you know we're always trying to achieve the best we can and think about the people think about Magnus Ditlev he he was second you know at the PTO US Open he he would have won right you know a good friend of mine Cody was third at was our bars of all of ours. Cody Beals was third at RMA Montremblant. He would have been second. And then Josh Amberger would have won. Like these things make a huge difference in, you know, not financially for sure with bonuses and also increased prize money, but also your notoriety in the sport, your future opportunities for sponsorships. Like these things can make a huge difference. And to just, and he didn't really, the thing that really got me as well is that he didn't really apologize to his competitors. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry to my, friends and family and supporters it's like how about the people like that could be the difference if somebody missed a podium lost quite a lot of money from it and you know maybe they were right on the edge of of quitting the sport and not quite making it and deciding to go to a different job that could have been the difference for someone and he just completely disregards that and you know it it doesn't sit right with me at all so selfishly colin had surrounded himself by competitors who were of the best caliber athlete and thought wow, if I want to be like these guys, this is what I'm going to have to do. And this is going to 
it's like during the interview with Jack Kelly, it was almost like, well, this is why we don't dope, dude. This is like why most all of us choose to continue the grind, work hard and see what we're made of. And yeah, you, we could all probably do the same thing you did. And then, then what would that amount to? It wouldn't be pure to the sport, to our character, to our friendships that we've generated. Like when I race side by side on the start line with my competitors, I look left and right. And I like respect everyone who's gotten there, just giving them credit for getting there. And, and obviously we don't think like, well, this dude to the right of me could be doing something shady. We just don't race like that, which is a part of the sport. I think we love to keep pure as, as competitors. We want to the toe to toe man and woman race to race to be legit. So for him to take that away from you, Jackson, from Cody, from Josh is, is pretty tragic. And the fact that he didn't even get worked up on that interview or seemed to like shed a lot of emotion outside of just being incredibly factual was almost disheartening in the fact that I don't believe even more like Lionel almost lost it on his just tell all about how he felt like that's how important it is to him. And it obviously was not as important it is to, to Colin. Um, so Lisa and Nicole, you both came on um, a couple minutes ago. I know you're all also super passionate about this Lisa, um, you know, in a synopsis, has this really offended you personally? Absolutely. I've been pissed off all day. It's okay. like, I take it very personally and it, and the thing that sucks about it is it makes me question everyone, like every, like all the competitors you are like, yeah. well, if you can get away with this, well, obviously didn't get away with it, but if it's, if you're doing this, who else is doing this? And I think that's what ruined the sport. It's what, absolutely just takes away the integrity of the sport and so I I mean I I honestly I don't know Colin at all I don't even know how to say his last name or pronounce his last name and I'm actually really happy that I never learned how to pronounce his last name right now because like it's not why worth my time to know how to pronounce your last name but um it's just it's just sad and I'm really freaking angry um because yeah, we all have, and, and, and the whole like, um, mental health side of the thing. I was just talking to Rachel Olson like 10 minutes ago and it was like, you, we all struggle. We all freaking struggle with mental health and depression and the ups and downs of sport. Like, it's just like, I don't know, find a way we're, we have, there's lots of things out there to, to deal and cope. And, um, and I also just, I don't, I don't believe that it was in a November thing. Um, and it sucks. I think he should have to pay back the hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So maybe he, maybe he was doing that this whole time and got greedy, then finally had to own up to the only test that he was validated negative on. And until then he probably would have gotten away with everything. You know, who knows? Colin could have shown up to any number of races this year under the same um, auspices and, you know, just taken that away from everyone else. Um, yeah. I, I don't really know what else there is to say outside of, I don't think, we all as a collective are buying the fact that it was only this one test and you just threw it all away the second you found out. And I don't think that we kind of feel bad <laughs> for did you. you guys, did you guys see, I don't know if it was a comment, but then my roommate messaged me again. Um, and it was, hold on, I want to pull it up. In progress. It was. It was no, I'm echoing. Um, um, he said, drafting is cheating. Doping is theft. 
Yeah, it's pretty legit. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's it's like kind of a crime. It's kind of you're stealing. <laughs> that um, Lisa, you've had a really hard year with injuries. Did you find that some of his sort of um I don't know, like inability to productively deal with, with injury setbacks. Like, did that hit particularly hard given your experiences? Um, or, I, I just think it's such, a, it's such a cop-out. Everyone gets sick. Everyone gets hurt. Everyone goes through depressive states. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's just such a, I hold character and integrity so high. And that's something that I look for in friends and competitors and people I surround myself with. So if you, it's such a, it's such a cop-out to me and I'm like, yeah, well, I had hip surgery and shoulder surgery. Maybe I should have just done EPO and heal. <laughs> I don't it, like that mm-hmm. never entered my mind to, so I don't know. It's so it's real quick. Also, what about L-carnitine injections, which he also admitted to kind of utilizing, which are in that like gray area. I don't know if those are officially banned or not, but I think there's probably a lot of other administrative methods or, you know, kind of gray area drugs or PEDs that are out there. Like, I think it's, that's the scariest part to me is that there's probably a myriad of stuff that really isn't inherently banned or test tested for that is possibly being utilized by, you know, competitors when the money gets big enough, then the, the hogs come out and then some, some of them get slaughtered and some of them just get fat. I, I think as soon as you know that you're in a gray area, that's just gross. Like he knew. And I thought that was also a really disappointing part of that, that interview that um, he completely knew that it was a gray area um, and didn't, yeah. didn't care or thought that that was appropriate. I think that showed a lot of character right there too. Um uh, I I don't think he's I think he's sorry he got caught. I don't think he's sorry. So that's like what I gather from the Jack Kelly interview. Yeah, he did not seem bummed a bit. Um, yeah. Any other topics and conclusions we can all draw from this outside of how bad it sucks, how pissed off we are, and how we don't really buy into the timeline or narrative? Mm, I I really reacted strongly to to the sort of view of sport where you have to sacrifice relationships. And like, obviously he's sacrificed his overall integrity, but like, to me, it's just not necessary to make those types of sacrifices or it's not what it takes and it's not what sport should be. And, and I know, like, I think it can be tricky to balance close personal relationships with triathlon, but to me, some of those relationships are actually like a really important barometer of whether my approach is a good approach or not. So that if what I'm doing with my training, um, which sometimes is tricky because it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of hours, but if it's negatively affecting like my partner, I pay a lot of attention to that and try to change things. So it's an easy way out, obviously, to just kind of lean on all of these excuses to dope, but ultimately it just shows a lack of personal integrity. And the good news is, you know, Colin was found out. Now the question is like Lisa mentioned, who else is going to come from the fallout of this? If anybody will others tighten up their structured doping even harder, or will they like pay attention to maybe results? See if guys who are content or guys or gals who were slaying it all of a sudden start to fall off for six to eight months and 
I'm not saying that everyone who has a bad race is insured under the microphone or the microscope, but I think it's a, it's a wake up call for all of us that maybe And Cody said this, I kind of, you know, listened to Cody Beal's uh, story right before it's not sad necessarily in, about the financials and all the other stuff. That's kind of just like part of what we all take a risk, but it's the naivety that I think we all probably have to get away from that. We really just hope everyone has the best intentions and we stand shoulder to shoulder on the start line, but Jackson, yeah, all those eggs, man, those have EPL in them and you're eating about 30 eggs a day. So I'm calling you out. Uh, I don't think they do, but <laughs> I'm not kidding. exactly sure. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to quickly go back to something that Lisa mentioned is like everyone goes through struggles and like think about, you know, um, it's easy. Like obviously people who have great success, it's easy enough to say like, oh, their mental health is great. Like what do they have to worry about? Which isn't, you know, obviously necessarily true all the time. Sometimes the best athletes have the hardest time mentally, but like this stuff like this just, you know, really gives me a lot more respect for athletes who who don't dope, who, you know, who are just in this to like see what the best they have is. And even if they're not achieving like amazing results, like, you know, Lisa's been injured for a year and she's, and she's coming back and trying to, you know, get back and see what she can do. And it's not because she wants to go and win PTO US Open and win a hundred grand. Like I'm sure that's not on the short term radar. It's about seeing what you're made of and like finding out what you've got and just giving it your best. And I think it's just so sad for us who try to do that. And then we get things and then we wonder how many, like Lisa said, how many people are now, how many other people are cheating? Like, you know, like I've been, I've had some pretty decent results at world championships and it's like, geez, were any of those guys ahead of me cheating? Like maybe I would have been on the podium. Who knows? And now you start to question things. And of course, you know, I don't, I don't look at people and try to say like, so-and-so is doping or not because you just never know. And I would never accuse anyone, but it, it definitely puts a big damper on the sport. And I think the other thing you can, you know, you can do is really encourage, um, good behaviors in racing even if they're small and i think like i heard uh leslie and some other pro women witnessed colin doing some pretty sketchy things in that race at us open yeah there's been there have been athletes in the past who've been ac- accused of having those same tactics and i think it yeah. was like a, a heather wortel situation with a mary with kessler situation where they were going at each other for claiming some of the same things so when there is a lot on the line, athletes, unfortunately, are pressed against the ropes. And maybe that that money for that position is going to cover a house payment or totally. something. So who knows, as the money increases, what athletes are going to be willing to do. Now, just to kind of tie up a lot of this stuff, what is what what can we do to protect ourselves? Because we're totally at the whims of how athletes outside of our even you know country handle themselves and fit different federations, different anti-doping organizations and rules should, you know, PTO was created and with all the right words in terms of we're going to be a, a pro union to kind of help support you all. Should we, you know, try to leverage the PTO to have a bigger voice to en- enhance or diversify the methods of doping control for our sport? I think the PTO and if 
they, I mean, I know I've heard lots of different things about like the athlete board and what we actually, what athletes actually, what say we have with the PTO. But I think if everyone came together and was like, if, if you receive a, a doping ban of any type or whatever the limitations or parameters are, and you receive like a lifetime ban from any PTO races or PTO money, I think that kind of sets a standard and sets some sort of narrative and and maybe some people would be less willing to to dope especially those top top athletes in the world if they're like oh if I get caught I'm done for life but I think at this point if you get caught like for EPO or something you have no chance of coming back into the sport um yeah that's pretty obvious you don't not gonna have any respect from your competitors yeah I I like that you know idea of making making the bands more severe and I, I think lifetime ban is no question for certain, for certain drugs, um, you know, something like EPO, like you can't just get EPO by accident in a freaking whatever, like that's, you know, that's intentional. And that's like the worst type of doping you could do in endurance sport, along with like blood doping, things like that. Um, or like steroids, things that are like super obvious doping and cheating. Um, I think it should be a lifetime ban, but I also think we need to talk about you know increasing the penalties even further like repayment of prize money of the last 12 months maybe 24 months because you're taking like it's not enough of a risk like someone like colin who clearly had and i do believe that he didn't have a good relationship with the sport and was mentally desperate desperate financially it's a no-brainer to dope for someone like that who has no morals because you go into the sport you go in you're like okay i'll make as much money as i can once i get caught I can't get stuff retroactively taken away because I didn't test positive then. So I'll take my money and run and start a new life. And that's a great option for people who like that. And that's not acceptable. There needs to be no good option. There needs to be way too much risk involved for people to want to do it. And, you know, it's been the doping. If you look at the history of doping, um, of anti-doping, I should say, the, the penalties used to be like non-existent. And then they started increasing a little bit. And then it got up to a point where it's like four year ban quite a long time ago, and it hasn't increased. But as time goes on, people find doping less and less acceptable. So like the fine, the the penalties need to be bigger. That's just the end of it. I think it needs to be, you know, much harsher. And we could we could, you know, do a petition, get athletes on board and try to come up with some reasonable parameters and get people to sign it because if everyone who isn't doping and will never dope signs it, that should at least be a really high percentage and, you know, some real change could happen. I, I think that considering some kind of retroactive repayment of prize money, even if you weren't doping does seem like potentially a really good idea. And that's where like, even in this case, you know, whether the U S open result was clean or not, like it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, sit well to have someone who would make such an egregious doping decision keep all of that money from that race and that that does seem like um you know maybe a more meaningful penalty in in some ways than than everything being just based on whatever happens after the doping yeah if he was willing to do it and got caught in november or whatever that test date was like that fucker was doping all year before like there's no doubt in my mind at all and he can't you know he can he can lie about that and and say well pull pull the 
the test retroactively, you, you're supposed to store it or whatever, which they do say they store the results for a certain amount of time or the, the samples, I'm sorry. So retest the samples. But dude, obviously you cycled yourself well enough during that period of time to not get caught. It's obvious that you've been doing a good job at that until now. So there's but, no way that that's possible. He was just, oh, oh, got me. I just decided right now I was depressed and I wasn't going to do this last year. That's a yeah, ridiculous story. But, but I wonder if it's sort of like even that question is a bit of a red herring, like because it's such an egregious violation of the sport. Does it matter whether that yeah. result was clean or not? Agreed, Tamara. Maybe it just doesn't matter if it was clean. So no one even has to have an old sample or even argue about it. It's just like Jackson said, the policy is it goes back a certain number of months and it doesn't matter either way. So there doesn't even need to be an argument about it in that case. Yeah, it should be a clash, Ironman or whatever race organization policy that if you are caught, you have a 12 or 16 month period before that covers any race that you've won under our organization that you will also be held accountable for. I think that that's probably pretty fair, especially for EPO, blood doping, the really heavy hitters. I have a question just in the timing of things. I know he tested positive in February and at the beginning of the Jack, Jack Kelly podcast, they said that he found out sometime in March. Um, So that's probably been almost a month or so since he found out. And I don't know how that all works. I don't know if he's not allowed to say anything or if he's allowed to make it public. Probably not. You don't think so? Well, because he was under investigation, he said, during that period of time. So they might have had some sort of a, you know, you can't do anything to further incriminate yourself. So anything he said could have been used against him. Yeah, but I I don't know. Maybe I just figured if he was tested positive, he'd be like, well, yeah, fuck, I got caught. It was EPO. I was using it. Like, better own up now. So I just, um, I would have had maybe like a hair more respect had he come out like right when it was given. But I don't know if that's, he was allowed to do that or not. But like, hey, let me announce this before all the mm-hmm. outlets. I would, I would expect that since other people were under investigation as well is what he seemed to imply. Um, he probably wasn't allowed to say anything because it could be deemed as like warning them or whatnot. I'm guessing he wasn't allowed to have any communication with whoever was under investigation. And um, I he mean, probably, he probably enjoyed the time or at least wanted the time to at least uh, fabricate some sort of uh, reason or timeline. And yeah. do research, right? Like when, you know, because it's awfully, if if you think about it, you know, the, the most unbelievable story would be, oh, I, I just started using it yesterday and then they tested me that day. Like that wouldn't be believable, right? So he had to come up with a timeline that was believable where people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, he said he used it for a couple months, makes sense but not a timeline that would result in him giving back $200,000 of prize money, sponsor money, whatever. So it's awfully convenient that it fills all those boxes perfectly. And then you, you can, and then it was just a month after Kona. So, Oh, you know, I was depressed from Kona. Like it's just the perfect story that you would make up to get away with what you could. And, you know, I'm not saying for sure that that's what happened, but let's just, you know, be honest that that's what everyone's going to assume because, that's just human nature. Like you're going to make assumptions when things don't seem to add up. Right. I think you said it earlier in the podcast, maybe, or before like you, who's going to start on, well, I don't know how you worded it, but the timeline that he says is he started taking the drugs after pretty much his best season ever, which just doesn't line up either. You know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And when, especially when you at least would think, oh, I was on an upward trajectory. If I just do what I did, I could keep improving, get even better. Yeah. His plan, as he said, was to take out the top in the sport. And that was where his path was probably heading with the aided help of, you know, his system that he created. So there's no doubt. I think it's all speculation. Of course, we don't have any hard data or facts, but I don't think the dots are very blurry or the lines that connect them are uh, anything but kind of clear to put together if you have like, you know, some rational, you know, athlete mentality. So we hope he was being truthful. However, it's doesn't seem very clear um, that he could be. So I think that's kind of really the majority of what there is to say about this whole scenario. Thanks everyone for coming on. Any final thoughts from anyone in the group? I have a quick, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. It's okay. I'll be real quick. Um, Just, I think as a small media outlet, um, uh, I think it's really important that we don't let the accomplishments of this past weekend's races get overshadowed by this news. Um, And because those people like, just like the people who Colin um, has maybe unfairly beaten, you never get that moment back. And I just, you know, for every Collins a shithead post. I think there should be like, congratulations, Ironman Texas <laughs> or mm. challenge Taiwan. Yeah, very well. Yeah, said. and I was just gonna say, I think um, sort of thinking about this news story over the course of the afternoon, I guess, and sort of how it it hits. I think coming from track and field, my initial reaction was just a bit jaded, like, oh, another doping story, and I think it actually does hit a bit harder because these stories are much less common in long course triathlon in track and field. It's just kind of a given that each result has a little question mark in your mind beside it. And that sucks for the sport. Um, you know, like when I competed at world juniors, like ages and ages ago now, but like there were two Russian women ahead of me. So always huge question mark, (laughs) um, about, what my real place in that result was. And and I just really try in that sport to pick athletes that I feel pretty confident in and that maybe I have a personal relationship with and, and sort of take comfort in them succeeding, feeling, you know, if not a hundred percent certain that they're clean, like pretty, pretty certain. Um, and so still being able to see those people succeed. So, um, I think, you know, as Nicole says, like it shouldn't overshadow everything about the sport, but it is a really serious thing and it sucks. And things like this create huge problems for sport as a whole. Problems that also need good solving and good answers. So, you know, whether we like it or not, this is something that had to be handled eventually. Uh, Lisa, go ahead. I think there's one thing I want to make note on is I think like we wish good for Colin as a human being, but we don't want him anywhere near the fucking sport of triathlon again. Um, like go find a business job and fuck off, like just get out of here. But we hope you like well being wise, like figure it out, get help, do the things you need to do and stuff. But we just, we don't want it in triathlon. Okay. That's a great way to end Lisa. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think that, I mean, same as Jack Kelly, you know, as a human being, we all are subject to making some fucked up choices, but doesn't mean you get to come back and race with us. So frig off. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Thanks for coming on everyone and valuable opinions from pro triathletes who are literally 
have had paychecks affected by this type of stuff, knowingly or unknowingly. So that's it for now, everyone. We need a huge, unified, resounding peace out. Ready? Peace. Peace out. Ooh. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise. On a one-man mission trying to see it through.